Hello, hello, and welcome to Non-Technical, where I, your host, Alexis Gay, interview influential folks from tech, media, business, and beyond about everything except their resumes. Today on the pod, I am thrilled to say we have Howard Lindzen, a general partner at Social Leverage, though he's done a lot of other super impressive, really interesting things prior to that, which admittedly, I'm not going to ask him that much about. Howard, thank you so much for being here. I thank you. I love the riffs that you're putting out there. I'm only a Twitter person. So I don't see all your stuff, but the Twitter riffs I share on stuff. Thank you so much. You're getting 100% of that sweet content. Don't worry. I'm so excited to have you. Yeah. Well, you should be. This is a thrill <laughs> for you. I love it. This is generally a big thrill for people. Yeah, I'm thrilled. Are you ready to dive in? Let's hit it. This episode of Non-Technical is brought to you by Modern Treasury. Modern Treasury makes APIs that help companies build products that move money. And guess what? They're hiring. They're backed by Altimeter, Benchmark, and Y Combinator, and on a mission to be the de facto standard for money movement for the world's most innovative and fastest growing companies like Pipe, ClassPass, and Gusto. Imagine saying that when someone asks what you're working on. Not bad. Before Modern Treasury, there's never been a universal API into the global banking system. And I guess I'm both surprised and not surprised by that, but it seems inevitable. And now it's happening, and you could be a part of it. According to the Breakout List, a curated list of high-growth breakout startups, Modern Treasury's customer list is strong, growth is excellent, and contract sizes are large. Historically, about half the team works out of their San Francisco office, about a quarter in the New York office, and a quarter remote. So a little something for everyone. Modern Treasury is looking for ambitious, product-centric folks, especially on the technical side, engineers, designers, and PMs in particular. Find out if Modern Treasury might be your next big move at moderntreasury.com careers. Howard Lindzen is a Canadian author, financial analyst, technical analyst, and super angel investor. He serves as managing partner of the venture capital firm Social Leverage and is the co-founder of StockTwits, a social network for investors and traders. He's the host of Panic with Friends, a podcast about panic and markets. He has a passion for do-it-yourself investing and within FinTwit and StockTwit communities, Howard is known as the Larry David of finance. Howard, one more time, welcome to Non-Technical. Hello. Hello, I'm so happy to have you here. We have a mutual friend. Well, we probably have more than one, but the one that connected us is Sheil. Freeloader. <laughs> friend of the pod. Friend of the pod, because he didn't charge him. If you charge him, he wouldn't show up. <laughs> oh my God. My wife likes him, so we like him. Okay, good. That's the Is that the rule for your friends? When you're married, yeah, the wife has to like the person. Even if you don't like them, if the wife likes them, you put up with them. Okay, I was going to say, so it works in reverse too. Oh, it, it's it's just the wife is in control. You know what? I don't hate it. I'm not married. It doesn't sound like the worst situation in the world, though. Don't need me. the aggravation. Plenty of aggravation in my life. If my wife doesn't like the person, it's not worth doing. That's actually a great tip. Who knew that straight out of the gate, we would be delivering incredible marriage advice? 26 years. 26, 26 years. <laughs> oh my gosh. Now I'm genuinely very impressed. That's a long time. I think in Wikipedia, yes, honey, I've mentioned the most times in the history of the world. Yes, honey. <laughs> yes, honey. This is great advice for all of our listeners. They're yes, going to have honey. long, happy marriages. Yes, honey. She heard me in the other room. She thinks I'm just acknowledging her. <laughs> That's incredible. Okay, well, I'm so excited to talk, and I'm deeply appreciative that Sheil introduced us and that you agreed to come on the show. Something that I know about you is you are a Canadian person, born in Toronto. Born and raised in Toronto. I was born in 1965, so in late 70s, the comedy mm -hmm. boom was real in Canada, yeah. Second City. Yes, yes. I grew up watching John Candy and Eugene Levy and Amazing. Johnny Carson in the U.S. and Bill Murray in Chicago. And I did stand-up comedy when I was 15, 16 you years did. old, 17 Oh, that's really old. young. Yeah. yeah. What got you into stand-up comedy at, at that age? I was a loser. <laughs> Howard, same. Wait, we have such similar trajectories. I had no idea. Well, you don't know you're a loser until you see all the losers hanging out at comedy clubs doing the same thing as you. And you go, wow, my life has not really turned out very well. But then also there's a moment where you're like, okay, I feel like, all right, I've accepted it. I've leaned in. I don't think I could have made it. I wasn't good on stage, but I was young. I mean, when you're, I'm 56 now and yeah. uh, it's easier to be funny because life has uh, rolled over me a little bit. <laughs> but when you're 16 and born somewhat rich, uh, you yeah. don't have what you think is funny is not what uh, other people think is funny. Yeah. And I, I turned out to be a pretty good writer for other people, but that okay. wasn't going to pay me at 16 years old. 
you know, a good joke writer yeah. for other people? I was a good editor. So I oh. knew how to take out words and I knew how to get a laugh, but I wasn't a joke writer. Do you write jokes now? Yes. I mean, thanks for asking since obviously I haven't impressed upon you that I do. No. The... Uh, <laughs> I don't. I'm I'm irreverent, is what people say. Oh, Larry David of fine. But I try not to write jokes. I think like just mm. like the news is the joke. Yes. Kind of the markets are the joke. You yes. know, it depends how you look at them. Mm. So every day, I think the jokes write themselves. And mm -hmm. much like John Stewart made a living out of just replaying the news, I think the markets are news, and therefore that has been my kind of look at the world. And my success started when I people noticed that I was pretty good at that little weird thing. Yeah. And here we are. Being good at a little weird thing can lead to a lot of success, especially on the internet, it turns out. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Thank God for the internet. Thank God for the internet. Pour one out for the internet. So Howard, something else I know about you is that you love Netflix, but you think that this is part of your work. I think living and part of living is, <laughs> is Netflix and chill, right? Like hearing <laughs> stories whether it was around the campfire as prehistoric men yes, or today hearing global stories from directors and producers mm. and, and that persisted even through COVID uh, and are probably pent up. The reason I'm so bullish on Netflix is there's now two years of pent up stories oh, that totally. will be told. And Netflix has the audience to deliver those and pay mm -hmm. for that. So, you know, storytelling is learning. And some people learn through books. Mm -hmm. I was not a book reader. I'm mm. not a. I'm not against books. I just find that at my age, concentrating on a book is very difficult. I see. You're not anti-book, though. It would be a controversial take, Howard. I'm just looking out for you. You know, Howard oh. Lindsay is famously anti-book. I'm not saying that's true, but I wouldn't want other people to interpret it that way. Well, I would hope other people would interpret it that way because that's why the internet is great. <laughs> uh, why shouldn't I be shamed for something I might have said or might not have said? Movies are what move me. Comedy is what mm. moved me. And everybody should be honest about, you know, even the best readers that I know, Morgan Housel, and the best writers mm -hmm. I know are like, mm -hmm. hey, man, if the book doesn't fucking work, shut it down, like two totally. pages in or five pages in. You know, the last great book I read that resonated with me was Phil Knight's Shoe Dog. And, oh, I've heard that's excellent. Nike. Yeah, but it could be shit to other people. But Shoe Dog resonated with me because, you know, it just spoke to me as an entrepreneur. And I thought it mm. could speak to a lot of other entrepreneurs. But that's my life. It's rather boring to most people. But to me, I'm passionate about starting companies and telling stories. I love that. I've been watching Seinfeld again. Like back me to too. Back, to back on Netflix. Seeing oh, sure. Seinfeld in order. In order. Like <laughs> And to see the progression of the characters is mm -hmm. magical. Is what season really magical. are you on? I'm already season seven. My, we're watching four or five a day. Kramer, it reinforces how much I'm, you know, Kramer was great in that show. It's just he's really your favorite? Magical. Yeah, he's my favorite in the sense that he just changed the most. And, and mm, he was the silliest. Mm -hmm. He was the silliest. I love Seinfeld. I'm watching it for the first time through in order. Because I've always seen it on TV, but I saw it, you know, when it was on TBS or whatever. Now I'm seeing it for the first time all the way through. And it's, oh my God, it's just, it's truly perfect. Yeah, the way they introduce characters and, and take them away is fantastic. There's no bad characters. I totally agree. So how'd you spend your last day off? My last day off is I generally, I think it's impossible in the world of the internet. People mm. should not think of the world in terms of days off or weeks off. I think oh, really? you can think in terms of hours and afternoons and mornings. Yeah. I think it's about, you know, little things. I think, mm. you know, people talk about meditation. I don't know yes. if I meditate or not, but I bike ride and that's a two hour commitment. And I find that oh, yeah. bike riding you know, gets me in a zone where I forget about things and, but I can't do yoga and I don't know how to meditate, but is biking sure. meditation. So people have got all these things. You got to meditate. You got to eat right. I'm more mm -hmm. of the opinion that you have to kind of take care of yourself mm -hmm. and that's different for everybody. That could be Netflix and chill. That could yeah. be casual weekdays. It could be uh, mornings off to do mm. something just for yourself. Yeah. So my last half day off was yesterday. I played golf. 
Oh. And, uh, and, you know, I try not to check my phone. I think a real good half day off is when you turn off your phone. Yeah, I agree. I'm pretty good at that most of the time. But, you know, yeah. sometimes when you, you just can't get away from it. And, yes. But a good half day off for me is a bike ride or a, um, or, or a round of golf. How did you get into golf? As a kid, my parents joined a country club. Just lucky. It wasn't a sport in the 70s that people played, but tennis was probably the sport, Oregon McEnroe. But I just somehow got into it. I don't remember the first time I did it, probably 11 or 12, and I just became hooked on this idea of getting better. Oh, really? So lifelong golfer, truly. Yeah. I've never had a hole-in-one. It came up yesterday, but I've been golfing since I was about 11. Wow. Okay. So you said you've never had a hole-in-one. Is that unusual for someone who's been playing that long or is that typical? Is it how rare is getting a hole in one? I guess what we're learning is I know very little about golf. I think it's rare. (laughs) I also think it's to get one. I also think it's rare for someone that's played for 45 years not to have one. So maybe I should just lie instead of having one. But it's become so cool Mm. that like it's almost impossible as much golf as I played in my teens and 20s and 30s. Yeah, uh, I don't play that much anymore. But in an era when I played so much to never have a hole in one seems yeah. a little weird. And now I just I kind of put it out there. And I think a lot of people are lying when they say they've had one or really? not a good enough golfer. I mean, who knows? It's both things are on the table at this point based on my limited understanding of the situation. Yesterday I played and again, yes. occasionally sport is something like meditation. Occasionally, you mm-hmm. every swing is different. The game is maddening. And occasionally, I hit a shot. That when I when I see it, I go, "Who? Yeah. who am in I? one, that baby. Let's go." And <laughs> yesterday, I hit one that landed about two inches. <gasps> Wait, that's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy, and everybody was surprised because I wasn't playing that well. And I said, "The ball has to land somewhere." Yeah, and that's really in the end. No matter how good you mm. are, the ball does land somewhere, much like rude wow. left when you spin a wheel. That's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. I haven't had the ball land in the hole. As one would say. Is it something that you want? Uh, No, because now it would cost me a lot of money to make one. So I'm fine not having one. Why would it cost you a lot of money to make a hole in one? You have to buy drinks for people. They should be (laughs) buying drinks for you. That's the way (laughs) golf works. Howard, uh, if you get a hole in one, send me an email. I will buy you a drink. I will Venmo you on the spot. Fair enough. Or if I'm nearby. What is this Venmo that you speak of? It's kind of like PayPal, but easier. Does that help? Got it. Got it. Got it. I'm a Venmo fanatic, by the way. I'm sure. Okay, amazing. Wow. All right. I'm really hoping that you get a hole in one someday. That's going to be so cool. I will DM you. Will you please? I would deeply yeah. appreciate that. I played golf, I think, twice. My dad made me when I was 10 or something like that. And? No, I don't think it's... I don't yeah, think it's, it's not for everybody. For uh, I would try uh, again. I'm putting it out there in the universe. If someone wants to go golfing with someone who's never golfed before, I would do that. Alexis? Yeah. One day. Dude, we could golf. That would be so yeah. fun. <laughs> it's, uh, it's possible. Is it tragic to go golfing with someone who's never golfed before as somebody who's been a lifelong golfer? I'm just going to be honest. I look at uh, couples in their 50s and mm. 60s playing golf. And it's yeah. when I see uh, <laughs> a couple playing golf, it just seems sad. <laughs> Why? Because golf isn't that great anyways. And I can't imagine having to play four hours with uh, the woman I love. <laughs> do you and your wife have something that's not golf that you do together? Yeah, like we that? hike Netflix and chill. We travel. There you go. Other people, there might be people looking at you two hiking and going, oh my God, that's so sad. Generally, one of us is 10 <laughs> feet ahead of the other. <laughs> you need a nice buffer. <laughs> yeah, the 10 minutes, that's why we've been married 26 years. 10 steps. 10 steps. Like 10 years. It can be the equivalent of 10 years. This is really good marriage advice. Listen, I'm not good at much. 26 years of doing anything, I should be considered some kind of expert. I'm impressed. Okay, well, I'm going to call you next time I have a relationship crisis. It sounds like you're going to be... My daughter does. (laughs) Oh, really? That's so nice. How old is your daughter? She's 23, just moved to New York. And so you have two kids? I have two kids. My son is a golfer in in the PGA program at UNLV. Oh, really? Oh, my God. He he found out that uh, we're rich and and decided he will (laughs) be golfer. (laughs) As soon as he got the news that we're rich, he decided <laughs> to uh, drop out of law school and be a golfer. Wow. It do be like that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Judge Lindzen became foursome Lindzen. Well, maybe someday he could go back. He could, but I would be sad. You want him to be a golfer? I don't think parents today, I talk about this all the time. Hmm. Like if my kids had said they were going to be a lawyer or an accountant, I would have said that I underachieved as a parent. 
Oh, really? Um, the world has enough lawyers and doctors and accountants, maybe not doctors, definitely not enough nurses and teachers. But yes. So obviously I'd be thrilled if my kids were teachers or um, uh, nurses mm -hmm. or firemen or, or policemen. Yes. Uh, my daughter has chosen the entrepreneurial space and, and my son loves passionate about the golf industry, fashion, mm. uh, equipment. And, That's awesome. Uh, he is living his best life at a young age. I mean, in this era, as you know, doing a podcast and being doing exactly what you want in media. Yes. What's wrong with that? Like, I think 30 years ago, our parents would have fought us much harder on this stuff. You know, you oh, yeah. a professional. And, you know, I would mm. argue what what is a professional? And, and then I would argue is AI, the people, the things that we're supposed to be investing the people mm. are worried about taking their jobs at factories really are coming next for lawyers and doctors and accountants. Oh, interesting. What do you, what about comedians? Do you think I'm safe? Comedians are safe. Comedians okay. have Ooh. never been safer. It's never been harder. Obviously, if you listen to Dave Chappelle, it's never been harder to be a comedian. And I agree with that. I'm a big Dave Chappelle fan. I'm a big John Stewart. I'm a big mm. fan of the people that have been doing this a long time and get away with stuff that you and I can't get away with. Sure. And we need Not more yet. of that. I get away with a lot. I don't know that it's never been harder, though, because in some ways it's never been easier to build an audience. It's never been easier to get an audience. Yes. And it's never been harder. So it's I say, thing, say the same thing about raising money. It's never been easier to start a company. Yes. But it's also never been harder to build a company, right? Because totally. everybody's doing it. And, yes. and just because it's never been easier to be a comedian, it's also never been harder because everybody has a voice. Oh, yeah. Now, you may not have to go get beer thrown on you or, and drinks thrown on you, but you've got to compete against the world. Totally. Okay, well, let me ask you this. If you were kidnapped, but you had the chance to communicate with your family and friends and needed to secretly let them know something was wrong, what would you say? I would tweet, because I think that would be the easiest okay. thing to say, okay. to do, because it's, you know, that's what I'm good at. Other people can flick open their camera and snap yeah. at something. So I would tweet, please, dear God, help me. I'm not kidding. <laughs> and hopefully people would realize uh, that I needed help. In this scenario, though, the kidnappers would see that and they would know that you were trying to escape. What would you say that would be like a secret code, like something so out of character that people would be like, Howard is not okay? Uh, I would say short Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> people go, well, he's lost his mind. Something oh my must God. be gone. That's amazing. You'd have uh, like 200,000 people being like, we need Liam Neeson in here. Howard's been taken. Howard would never say that. He's been taken. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Has a piece of art that could be music, book, fine art, anything ever changed your life? It's called Love Letters. Hmm. And I, unfortunately, it's in my daughter's, like we're renovating because, you know, the kids are out of the house. So yeah, yeah. Good time. We haven't kicked them out. To reno we're renovating. But we love that <laughs> picture. It was over my daughter's bed. It's the first painting that uh, my wife and I bought uh, she's a Dutch artist, contemporary mm. artist. I don't think we paid but a thousand dollars, but um, mm. we check the obituaries in Amsterdam every day just to make sure we're not rich. Because she's a wonderful <laughs> artist, and we hope she lives a long life. But it has been a while. Oh my god! <laughs> so Annika Paraboom is a great artist, and we—it's fun to do something like that. Yeah, and not be in the—you know—today everybody's flipping bored apes on open sea. Yeah. And uh, this was our version of bored apes when we were visiting Amsterdam, I don't know, 25 years ago and decided mm. together to buy a piece of art. It's called Love Letters and it's just a wonderful piece of art. And it's been hanging around our house for our different houses for 25 years. Wow, that's lovely. Is there a fad that you look back on participating in? And that could be fashion or cultural or anything like that, that looking back makes you a little cringy? Like this week? <laughs> it's funny because I, I was very early to Lulu. Lulu Lemon? Yeah. And okay. <laughs> so I feel like I, I have this thesis about fashion and technology. I call it fashology. The idiots around the world call it athleisure, which makes me cringe. <laughs> um, why can't it just be fashion meets technology? But I'm sorry. You think fashology is better than athleisure as far as a word mashup? Yes. Way better. Since it's mine. You are my guest. I will let you have that. <laughs> what the hell is athleisure? What the hell is fashology? <laughs> Fashion meets technology. Would you Athletic buy, meets would leisure. Would you buy Motorola sunglasses 
No. Would you buy Oakley sunglasses with Apple components? Yes. So I think the, sure. the mixture of fashion and technology is interesting. That has okay. nothing to do with athleisure. But anyways, <laughs> the analysts will do what they do, and so will you. But the idea is, you know, I was early into Lulu, and because okay. I'm a, an investor in Robinhood and yeah. make fun of GameStop and sure. stupid people all day on the internet, I'm being called a suit. <gasps> Which is pretty funny because Wait, really? I was wearing leisure wear before these kids That's were born. Funny. Yeah, so the suits have become Lulu people have become the suits in this weird world that we live in. But I think my most wow, cringeworthy yeah, I was twenty years old traveling through Europe with my buddy Rob. Hmm. And at the time acid wash was a thing. So this yes. would be in the mid eighties. Okay. Horrific a horrific time for most people. And <laughs> I had enough fashion sense to never wear acid wash but oh, there really? was a brand name gerbeau g-i-r-b-a-u-d that made like uh, puffy pants i had a pair of gerbeau puffy pants that i just loved and would, was wearing them all through europe we were once getting off a, a boat in corfu uh, on a long uh, boat ride from i think it was crete to tel okay. aviv mm-hmm. and uh, my travel partner rob siegel we went skinny dipping i guess because we were filthy and, <laughs> and off the boat and my pants never reappeared, <gasps> and uh, I had to go back to the boat without my gerbeau and without what? pants. And that was probably my weirdest fashion moment. He did me a favor, he said, by removing the puffy pants. And, uh, <laughs> You've never replaced the puffy pants? No, and his fashion mistake, he loved acid wash, so we were not the coolest two guys. In but it was the moment. I've never heard the term puffy pants before. This is a, a fashionology term that I'm not personally familiar with. They were like a weird fabric of jean meets elastic meets. Oh, no. Yeah, they weren't. They, okay. were probably, they felt good because sure. you were traveling through Europe, but obviously they were offensive to my travel partner who couldn't wait for the one chance to remove them and bury them in a Greek water uh, <laughs> park or wherever I, we You were. know what? Sometimes you need a good friend to keep it real, you know? Yes. Yes. Everybody and, should travel to Europe. I don't know if kids are doing that right now in their 20s, but every mm, kid, obviously they can't during COVID, but it yes. was one of the great uh, things that people did in the 80s and 70s. Okay. More good advice. Do you have a catchphrase or other words or phrases that you or other people feel are specific to you? It's not a catchphrase. Obviously, I started StockTwits and we invented the cash tag, which is like the hashtag, but for stock. Really? Yeah. So the dollar sign in front of a ticker. That's oh, of course. Kind of known to us and me. I didn't know that. Yeah, because uh, we don't, we're not good at marketing, I guess. But uh, <laughs> Well, also, I don't know when it would have come up like for someone to tell me, hey, yeah. you know where the cash tag yeah. came from? The only from. time it's come up and it's been offensive is when Twitter says that they invented it. So, <gasps> have know. they tried to take credit for that? Uh, not tried. They do all the time. <gasps> oh, my God. It's okay. Every No one invents anything. Twitter is one of the best products of all time. It's been very good to me. Yeah. And same history gets written. If you do this long enough, history gets written every day, all day uh, on the internet. This is so funny to learn that it came from your community because when I started the podcast, as a thank you to some of my friends who helped me by recording test episodes... Before I launched the show, I had five friends do what you're doing right now, except they let me bumble and totally screw up my way through these recordings so that I could learn how to do it. And I had 15 hats made. And what I put on the hat was a fake stock ticker cash tag for non-technical. So all the hats say are dollar sign NTCL. Very cool. You get it. You get the yeah. joke. The, the, we were just trying to create a language. Just stock, yeah. Stocks are a language to me. So like a, you, you mentioned at the beginning, I'm a do-it-yourself guy. Mm-hmm. I was a do-it-yourself guy. I went to ASU. I didn't go to Harvard or Penn yeah. or Yale. Sure. And I've hated CNBC since 1999. I'm not a, I'm not a new really? hater. An I'm an OG. OG. <laughs> I'm an OG hater. You're an OG hater of CNBC. Good to know. I would just be like, I'm an ageist because everybody on the channel, other than my friend Josh Brand is 90 years old and, yeah. and no one listens. But um, <laughs> the idea of the cash tag, this is what made Twitter great. You know, I, I talk a lot about Twitter. It's probably one of the, the greatest products and the worst run businesses of all time. Sure. Uh, okay. But still a $40 billion company. Magical. The idea of the cash tag was uh, Fred Wilson and I, I had uh, loved stocks and I had started mm-hmm. a show called Wall Strip, which CBS acquired. It was a silly kind of Larry David meet Saturday Night Live of uh, Wall Street. 
I love and that. And it was the first show ever acquired by, look at the plug I'm doing. It was the first show ever. This is a great plug. Media Network. Yeah. So it was, look it was at back that. in 2006. And okay. And we were, we oh, wrote wow. the show for YouTube <laughs> and CBS bought it. So after, when Twitter came out, I was like, man, wouldn't it be cool if people could just talk about stocks and, 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 but the hash, the hashtag didn't make sense. Like hashtag AAPL where like people right. were go, I went to the market and bought a green apple with a hashtag is a lot different than I went to the Apple store and it was crowded and I'm long the stock. Right. Yep. So it was about intense. So we came up with the dollar sign as a way to express the language because people have always spoken about stocks in ticker form. Apple is mm -hmm. AAPL totally. and Google is G-O-O-G. So we just started doing that. And it allowed this whole community to be born around the dollar sign. Wow. Yeah. I, that so is that was so 2007. funny. 2007. That might, I think I started my Twitter in 2009. Yeah, I was one of the first thousand. You must have been, right? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. You really got the clout, the Twitter clout to back that up. I had no idea that I was sitting with the inventor of the cash tag. I mean, now this is who I need a minute. You know, you have quite the resume. Didn't know about the cash tag. Well, the funny thing is, is Twitter changed my life, right? Like there was this whole, I think at first, like everybody's talks about Twitter. It's stupid. Like it doesn't matter sure. what age you are. If you're eight, it's stupid. If you're 80, this is dumb. Yep. And then if you, all it takes is like a moment and it takes, it's not mm -hmm. easy. Same thing with stock twits is yep. it doesn't click. And if it does click, you're in mm. a group, it's a club. Yes. And yes. then you tell your friends and they go, it's dumb. And then something <laughs> happens where they like it. Right. Yes. And so, so those are the best clubs where it's not like sign up under, you know, like Facebook, everybody can do it. Well, it's not fun anymore. Right. right. Having having everybody being able to do something is fun. Twitter. What makes Twitter still charming is most people just bounce and hate it. Yeah. What changed my life is I started investing in the ecosystem, TweetDeck and Bitly, mm -hmm. StockTwits and Samize. So I was very early. I didn't really fully get Twitter, but I, I invested in all the products that would make Twitter better. And that's worked out pretty well. Wow. That's brilliant. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, Twitter, big fan. And I, I agree with you. I think having... When it clicks, it clicks. And when it yes. doesn't, it doesn't. And that is a self-sorting mechanism for many platforms and many clubs. Again, like Steve Jobs, everything's up for grabs. You, you know, not, no, no one invented everything, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't take offense, but the cash tag, unless someone else says they invented it, because it just is. It's a community. Yeah. But, um, there, you know, I love this saying, there's no such thing as information overload, only mm. filter failure. Ooh, so, ooh. so what makes Twitter great is that anybody can use it. It's a fire hose. It's like yeah. the Nile River. If you drink from it, you know, it's poisonous. Oh, my um, God. Another beautiful metaphor. you know metaphor. how to drink from it and how to curate it, it's a very magical thing. And so we live in a world where there's just nothing but information overload. And people, hmm. some people tune out everything, and, I, and, and, and that's fine. Yes. But that doesn't change your life. What changes right. your life is accepting all these things and figuring out the curation of it all and the uh, and that's where the joy comes you know it's not free and you constantly have to be gardening and mm -hmm. that's kind of what the mantra that uh, i get i guess i get known by hmm. be gardening be gardening be curating mm -hmm. uh this isn't free like i mean it is free but like there's no such thing as a free lunch you got to put totally it some people say that you're not you but that one is the product of the five people they're closest to do you believe mm -hmm. in something like that yeah, or or the product of the five people they're furthest from. So I, I generally now at my age in life find, try and ask people that I think I like, who do they hate? Really? And um, if we hate the same people, I think we have a better chance of being friends. Oh, really? Yeah, because everybody, you know, you can say, I like The Rock. What does that tell you about somebody? <laughs> <laughs> okay, but what if you hate the same people, but your wife doesn't like them? I think like we them? have a lot more in common if we hate the same people. Because everybody likes everybody. We're in a bull market. Like, everybody's doing business with everybody. Yeah. So I think it now becomes important to see who you don't agree with versus okay. who you agree with. And I think if we all started thinking that way, we'd yeah. be way more points of contact and, and getting along. That's very interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try that out. Mm -hmm. Who do you hate? And let's see if we hate the same person. <sighs> this is a very hard question for me, Howard. No, you don't have to answer. <laughs> who do you dislike? <clears throat> um, who do I dislike? 
God, that's hard for me to say because I'm uh, I'm from Connecticut where we don't disclose information such as who we dislike. We say things like, I'm not sure I would want to spend a lot of time around that person. So who is that person? <laughs> I can't think of anybody. There's like politicians that I detest. Well, there we go. Put terrible policies in place that hurt people. And so I was curious if you felt like the people you spend time around, if curation is also super important there. I think so. I think mm. like you have to be particular. I'm not a wine guy or like mm. a fine this or a fine that, you know, yeah. I'm not into the foofy hot takes of 18 course meals or, right. you know, the fanciest clothes. Sure. Um, Except for the I'm, puffy pants. Uh, Very well, fancy. The puffy pants they sounded fancy. fancy. They were just fancy to me. The, um, <laughs> I was so impressed. I think, I think we all should be curating constantly. I think we're all focused and following too many people. Which is just what mm, happens, right? You have sure. this magic wand in your hand and we can talk to anybody at any time yeah. of the day. So I am very vigilant about who I follow. And in my business, okay. I'm trying to follow people. Like This is a tip for anybody. Uh, if you follow comedians, I'm sure you have this great mm -hmm. curated list of comedians. And it's very hard for a new comedian to break through mm. or someone with a unique voice. For me, it's has that person, this is what my, my problem with CNBC, which led to all my success, you know, reinventing some of this stuff or reimagining it mm. better term, is it was so awful to me how they curated. And so for mm. me, the, my problem with CNBC is like, what's that guy's track record? When was he last on the air? Uh, how do we know if, if he changed his mind? TV yeah. never made sense because it was a one-to-one, -one, you know, time-based conundrum. Yeah. And Twitter, what made Twitter interesting to me for finance was that you could go back in someone's timeline and see how they felt, right or wrong. Mm. You could kind of get a sense for what they were. Where Twitter screwed that up and stock tweets evolved, it was you will, you're allowed to delete your your tweets. Yeah. And that was a huge opportunity for us at stock tweets. I don't care if you're right or wrong. You can't delete your financial messages, right? Hmm, and that's interesting. Because that's if I'm going to buy Apple, I'd like to know how you really think about Apple over the years. Or yeah, that's I true. I tend to follow people not because of what they look like or their size or where mm -hmm. they live. It's just, do they have a tendency to be correct? Hmm. And when they're incorrect, do they? how do they behave when they're incorrect? Yeah. And that has led to a very short, list of people that have made me money over the years and i'm very nice to those people and i'm very sure. guarded about those people not because i think they're better than other people it's just because they live an open life in sharing mm. their investment thoughts and i think a lot of people are in the, on the internet yelling about how to make money right there's very few people that can consistently do that and my job is to find mm. those people and to elevate them wow it sounds like you're very good at what you do. I think I'm supposed to be after yeah. this long. Uh, some would argue that I suck. <laughs> okay, well, tell me this. What's the most out of character thing you've ever done? Is generally just being really mean to people. So really, you know, yeah, I'm really against the you know practice what you preach, but we all break totally. our own rules. So yes. you know, when I start a fight or I insult someone or my joke is taken. Yeah. When I when I do personal attacks, yeah, uh, I cringe. Okay, that feels out of character to you to attack yeah, someone personally. Because you know what? They've stirred something in me, whether it's someone talking about mm -hmm. a company that I'm an investor in mm. or or seeing somebody, you know, just say something a lie and then yes. just it makes no sense anymore <laughs> to call these people out. And uh -huh. so it just it, you know, that's stuff that sticks with me. I'm There's no you. elegant way to call people out, period, end of story. I know. And so every time I do it, I just, uh, I cringe. I understand. Well, we can all forgive ourselves, but I do understand what you mean. What is the tiniest hill that you're willing to die on? So something like incredibly inconsequential that you would really go to bat for? Uh, just a, a person. You know, the Trump thing was not about politics. I'm a Republican hmm. in Arizona, and I was just mm -hmm. willing to just like, I'll vote for a shoe. <laughs> and I was very vocal on Twitter. It was like we we inserted a, a crazy person. Yeah. Forgetting age, forgetting everything else. Like yeah. We just inserted a person that we knew was a criminal. For sure. We inserted a person that uh, did a terrible job raising his kids. Mm -hmm. We inserted a person that knew nothing about business or questionably whether he cared about America. Yeah. And I think we got what we deserved there. And some yeah. people are still think it was great. So I, I'll die on that hill in the sense that 
obviously there's risk in having Biden as there's risk. You only have of two course. choices and I would never vote for that. That's the hell I would never vote for. And I'm proud of it because, mm. you know, I get it. Like I, you know, I'm called a lib or whatever, but like call me whatever <laughs> names you want, I, I want to know who you hate. And there's a reason to hate that person. Absolutely. And his dangerous, dangerous person who's extremely negligent. I've seen what negligence does and uh, it's frightening. Yeah, that feels like a medium to large sized hill to me. It isn't because he's a fucking orange freak. <laughs> he's he could care it is less. Bad. Yes, right. He could care less what I think, and that's why it's important that we all. And so I don't think it's a tiny hill. I think it's a really important. Oh no, hill. that's what I mean. I'm saying that feels like a very important. But hill it is to me. a tiny hill. He's just a person, and he's gone right now, and and he's dreaming up his next scam. Oh yeah, and we saw a spec come from him. Oh no. And Oh God! So I don't know. I think it's a. It's a. I don't have many tiny hills, right? That's truly like, a nightmare. A privilege. A Trump's I live back. A pretty privileged life. So uh, that that was an important. Uh, yeah. Stand for me. Do you believe in ghosts? Yes, we've seen ghosts. Really? Yeah. Have you not been to Tell England? Me. I've been to England. I've never seen a ghost there. You get off the plane and you see ghosts in England. That's how old it is. <laughs> <laughs> so we were at a friend's wedding. Ian Mercer is a great guy, and I was at his wedding. Mm -hmm. You know, 26, maybe before we were married. Yeah. And we were at a hotel, uh, like, uh, like in the middle of the country and, and next to a graveyard, just like a Scooby-Doo adventure. Oh, my God. And uh, just like you would draw it up in a ghost book. And as we checked in, she said, listen, you, you know, the only room we have for you, it's a great room, is a haunted room, but it's a friendly what? ghost. What? Yeah. And and we were like, whatever, scrappy do. Were you scared when they said that at the no, front desk? No, she said friendly ghost. She said some people see it, some people don't. But I don't know if that was a subliminal we were being filmed. Mm -hmm. uh, but this was before Google Camera and the internet. <laughs> so we checked in with that in the back of our head, obviously, yeah. right? When someone says that to you. Plus you're in England, plus it's cold, plus it's... Uh, Kind a graveyard of overlooking yeah. a graveyard mm -hmm. and then in the middle of our our first night i i woke up and my wife was sitting up in her bed talking to someone in the room what i was excited i thought there'd be a threesome <laughs> i couldn't find the third person first thought up oh she's talking to someone we're probably about to have a threesome it's like a sign the only possible scenario that she's i can imagine it. is that she's it's threesome it. time <laughs> But alas, it was just a ghost. Ah, oh, damn. And, uh, you Next can't time. count a spirit as a threesome, is what I found out. If you look it up on Wikipedia, I found out that it doesn't count. It doesn't count. God damn. Yeah, so she swears she saw a ghost. I saw her see the ghost. Okay. But I did not see the ghost. When she swore that she saw the ghost and was having a conversation with them, was she afraid or was she more just having a chat? Well, I immediately undressed because if there's going to be a <laughs> Right, exactly. So you're there buck naked. She's talking to the ghost. If you need a ghost disappear, you just invite me over to undress. <laughs> That ghost will disappear, as it turned out. Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters, yeah, I, Howard Lynn's in addition. My <laughs> nude manscaped body is a Ghostbuster. I love that you slipped the manscaped in just in case we can plug that company that hey, we listen, talked about earlier. You can tell me that I can't talk about myself, but I will find a way. That was deft. That was very skillful. Okay, so what's something non-work related that you're really proud of? I want my kids. Uh, mm. They're doing what they love. Grew up in Arizona, the kids. And so the fact that my daughter is making it in New York, you know, on her own, you know, 23 years old and like enjoying, yeah. enjoying New York. Because, you know, in an era where you can live in your hole in your room or wherever yeah. you want to live, to want to go experience New York is, I think, an important American thing. I agree. I think everybody should live in New York when they're young, especially, but for at least a year. Absolutely. Like you can hate it, but at least you said oh, you did it. Knock it off the bucket list. I think it's very important. It's an American privilege. It's mm -hmm. probably a global privilege until yes. recently. But so in a world where, you know, the everything's at your fingertip to go live in the hustle bustle of New York where no one cares what you do or no one cares who you are. Truly. But to appreciate that and to live that life is important, I think, as an American. So I'm proud of that. And she, she just, and as she's enjoying it and taking oh, good. the good and the bad. And then, uh, you know, my son is, you know, pursuing a life that he thinks is fulfilling in golf. And, and yeah, that's very trying exciting. Trying to figure that out. So that's cool. Oh, has he gotten a hole in one? Yes. <gasps> yes. Oh. Yeah. Plot He's twist. He's a good player. He's a good player. 
Has he gotten more than one hole in one? That I don't know. I, I think okay. many. Wow. But uh, it's not it's something that's as exciting to these kids as it, what, oh. what it was. Because I think because of Instagram and, so and YouTube and Twitter, kids, kids, they happen and they're telegraphed. So it's not like a rare thing. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I still think it's very exciting personally. No, but it's just like anything. When you see millions of them done on YouTube and trick shots and Instagrams, it's, it takes away the, it's like landing on the moon. It's like once you see it, a, once you see a million people do it, it's not the same. It's like Everest. Everybody's climbing Everest. I mean, yeah, you know everybody. I mean? It's, a for, it's a feat for the people to do it, but there's lineups of people doing it. It's crazy. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Is there a song that whenever you hear it takes you back in time? Yeah, I'm a super tramp. I don't know what it is. Everybody's triggered by different things that they're yeah. uh, and mm-hmm. uh, I guess we have the Walkman, but I was, you had, you had, you had tapes. Yeah. Right. There was albums, which made it, you know, easier to flip back and forth to favorite song, but tapes made it hard to like rewind. So you listen to albums generally. Yeah. And so Crime of the Century was just that album. I forget, 77, maybe. That, okay. Uh, Super Tramp. And it was kind of like this weird mix of, of like kind of an opera meets rock music meets hmm. a little bit of Queen, a little bit of, a okay. little bit of everybody, but like awesome. so unique. And so that album continues to be my go-to album, Crime of the Century. What do you think of when you hear it? I just freedom and, and just uh, like rock and roll. Hmm. And, you know, they weren't one hit wonders, but there were so many bands at that era that just had great albums. Hmm. Just was an era that just, just disappeared, right? Yeah. Just, and you would go to concerts and there would just be that cigarette smoke in the air in the stadiums. And it was just, it was just a different way. Concerts were different. Wow. And every band member was like popular. Oh, right? really? If you liked that band, you just knew about every band member. You know, from okay. keyboardist to musician. It's different now. That's true. That's very mm-hmm. true. I'm trying to think of bands where I know the names of the members of the band, and there are, I can't think of any. Yeah. So it's like the Jonas Brothers, but you don't really know. And I, I golf with them recently, and it's mm. just like they're really talented, but like they're sure. more like performers than they are anything else. Whereas the band was a band back then, the good, the bad, the ugly. Right. But you could name the Jonas Brothers. Now, because I've met them. You, or you like, just golfed with them. <laughs> Yeah, not all of them. It was like Mick and one of the other ones, whatever. But the uh, they were shorter than I thought. Okay. Wow. Yeah, Good to know. News. Yeah. But people should listen to Crime of the Center. Really an operatic, incredibly moving album. Okay. I, I will definitely check it out. I never have. Okay. Okay. Howard, two-part question for you. Who would play you in a movie about your life? And mm-hmm. should this be a biopic? So birth to present day, or should we hone in on a particularly exciting movie-worthy chapter of your life? I mean, I've had drama, no, no doubt. Okay. Drama was mostly bad decisions in my 30s when, you know, um, the, so that just, I mean, would it, you want to have a, a, a dramatic story, right? So I yeah. think- Some kind of arc. It's easy that now to say, oh, he's successful and he's picking winners, but it's a bull sure. market. So I would say, you know, right around- you know, 9-11, when so many, mm-hmm. whether you were there or not, there's so many lives were changed from seeing it on TV. Or, so right around there, the country, it was haywire, right? People just don't remember. And a lot of businesses went, you know, COVID obviously disrupted a lot of business. But 9-11 mm-hmm. happened and we were all thinking about terrorism. But like the country right. went into a deep recession and right. jobs were were thrown out. And and, and, and you had just, just, are we going to war or not going to war? Mm-hmm. It was our kind of like crisis. Like, you know, yes. COVID was a crisis, but like, you know, and because I'm in the digital world, the crisis wasn't as horrible as mm-hmm. it was for other people. Mm-hmm. But back then there was no real digital world. It was all, we were all in it together. Yes. Right. The internet was just starting. So that, there was a lot of bad stuff that happened to a lot of people and a lot of businesses then. So I would cover that era. Okay. And so particularly in your life, you said there were bad decisions made around your 30s. And then are you thinking that the arc of the film would be like about a particular bad decision or yes. focus? Okay. So it would be about, you know, uh, a, a crime that uh, happened at our business. And uh, it's a pretty good story. It's oh, pretty good boy. Story. And who's going to play you? Wait, I love white collar crime. <laughs> Who would play me? I think it would have to be someone handsome and alive. Okay. Hopefully. Well, of course. Yeah, not digitally recreated, but I think I'm a big fan of let's see who could play me. Who has my look? They obviously there would be a lot of work 
being done, but I'm such a great story that I think I would have to be a great actor. <laughs> um, so let me, I, I don't know. I forget. So I'm at the age where I forget the names of my favorite actors right now. Okay. Like I'm in the, like, it's like, it's, sure. it's like, uh, early stage dementia, but it's only applies to movie. My favorite. Very, actors, yeah. It has but. a very narrow scope. Yeah, it has a very narrow scope. So I'm forgetting an actor's name. It'll come up when we change subject. Like a handsome, dramatic actor? Do we need? But we need someone comedic. Only Paul Rudd, just with with. I with, would uh, love that. Heels. That this Paul is Paul Rudd with heels. Okay, because you're. Are yeah. you taller than Paul Rudd? Is that? I think you're taller than Paul Rudd. I don't know how tall Paul Rudd is. I've literally he's never thought five about two, it. Two probably. He's not five two. <laughs> five two. I don't think he's five two. <laughs> if you say it enough, he is. I guess you know what? Honestly, you are right. Uh, I am five seven, so I guess I would be taller than Paul Rudd in this fictional scenario where Paul Rudd is five two. <laughs> are you googling how tall Paul Rudd is? I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> He is uh, five five six. Oh, I am taller. Uh, Wait, no, he's not yeah. five six. You're lying. I'm using Canadian Wikipedia. Their numbers aren't as accurate. That's what we had the conversion rate from the Canadian <laughs> metric system to the there US. There you go. I worked that system. in. I was that was on my list to work in. Beautiful. You did it. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I think Paul Rudd is an incredible choice. He's a wonderful dramatic actor. He's a great, very funny comedic actor. And I think that he could kind of hit these different we notes and levels that we want. We just shave his yeah. head a little bit. No, but in your 30s, right? Right. In my 30s. More hair? He's funny. He's witty. Good, you know. I think this is a great idea. Even though I don't think he's that funny as the guy is uh, Judd Apatow. Obviously, he's a oh, genius. You, you don't think he's that funny? No, obviously, he's a genius. What? But I, I, I fancied to live my last 20 years like he yeah. did. So to do what yes. Judd did for comedy, I would like to do for finance. You know, just be involved in as many projects as I can that are great. 100%. And, and be the executive producer of, of what I am. And, and, you know, with Stock Twits and investing in all these fi financial startups is to do what he did for comedy. You yes. Know, that's kind of my role model for finance. That's perfect. If Paul Rudd is involved, we could probably get him as an EP. And then we could also mm -hmm. get Adam McKay, I think would be a great fit for this. Yeah. Adam McKay, uh, you know, who did film. Because I'm thinking like big, short, kind of like we want that like high drama, white collar crime fraud vibe. But then we want like clever humor and stuff like that. Well, which the clever is very humor Adam is McKay. my life. How stupid I am. But uh, <laughs> you wouldn't have to write it, I'm saying. It's just like play the tape. Like how stupid I could be. I would like to write for this film. And finance, it's like the Dead Sea. When you go into the Dead Sea in Israel, if you've been, they tell you just before you get to the Dead Sea, be careful. Mm. There's, uh, you know, if you have a cut, the salt will will get you. Yeah. And uh, any yeah, girl shave their armpits, go into the Dead mm -hmm. Sea, and they come out screaming. In a bull market, same thing. If at the end of a bull market, no matter what you own, it goes down and you yeah. get cut. And yeah. so human behavior, you know, was a big part of that. So any kind of like the big short was so well done and it gets mm -hmm. better each time I, I watch it. Really I good watch film. That often. But yeah, those kind of period pieces about sloppy behavior and, you know, everybody in the same pool leads to a lot of a lot of pain. And, yeah. and so my 30s were like that post 9-11. I think that this sounds great. I famously love white collar crime, as I mentioned. So I'm excited to write this film. If it happens film. to you, you don't love it as much. But yeah, I'm sure. Fascinating. White crime is a fascinating thing because so many other white crimists are mm. involved. To get a white crime, it's just, a, you know, you got to do a violent crime. It's like one dude with poorly planned right um, the scope of it when it's crime. business what's amazing about white mm -hmm. collar crime is how many other white crimers are involved in it it's so fascinating do you want to write the movie with me uh, i think you'd be a great writer why i have work i thought i was supposed to come on this podcast and that would be the end of it no i mean you, you can but i think that the, i think the film needs your voice i just think that it needs your comedic voice behind it well thank you but yes i'm working on uh, I, I backed a documentary called The Meme Economy that'll be out in Oh, seriously? That's awesome. Really smart people. You should meet them. Chris yeah, Temple I'd love to. Great. He's a great uh, director. Awesome. And um, I'm doing stuff like that, you know, so it's That's fun. Great. I don't have a timeline for this stuff if the right group, you know, forms. Uh, okay. We'll do it, but uh, it's a passion I'll talk to sure. Judd. I'll talk to Paul. We'll see what we can pull together. I imagine if I talk to Judd, he, I could sell him on it, I, you know. I believe that. I believe that you could do that. Yeah, those are the fantasies that I have, and they're weird yeah. fantasies. Like, oh, just get me in front of Judd, and we'll be best friends. I feel like that's 100% true, though. 
Also, I think yeah, that- Yeah, I'm just scared of manifesting it because then I'm in it and I'm not quite sure I want to be Howard, in it. Howard, it's, it's out there now. And mm-hmm. that's how life works sometimes. Sometimes you just put it out there. I've been putting it out there for about a year and a half and it's slowly happening. Okay. All right. Howard, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. This episode of Non-Technical is still brought to you by Modern Treasury, a company building payments infrastructure to power $750 trillion in bank transfers every year. Oh, and they're hiring. I took a little peek on Glassdoor where, not to brag on their behalf, but Modern Treasury is currently rocking five stars and a 100% on would recommend to a friend. Here are four quotes from reviews that would personally make me excited to check out their careers page, all written by current employees within the last 12 months. One, low bureaucracy, spend time shipping features instead of in meetings. Two, leadership leads by example and people are encouraged to take the time off that they need. Three, team of curious individuals who love to learn new things, experiment, and get better every day. Four, a chance to get in on the ground floor of something huge. So there you have it. Getting stuff done instead of talking about it, leaders that walk the talk, and great teammates to work alongside. Plus, you know what they say about rocket ships, right? See if Modern Treasury might be the right rocket ship for you at moderntreasury.com careers. And we're back with Howard Lindzen, general partner at Social Leverage. Howard, We've arrived at a very exciting moment in this episode of Non-Technical. Are you ready? Ready. We've arrived at the lightning round. Let's do it. Okay, first question for you, coffee or tea? I'm a coffee guy, black. Me too, hot or iced? Hot, iced is gross. I don't like coffee enough to drink it cold. Iced is gross? Mm -hmm. What do you do when it's hot out? Don't drink coffee, Adderall. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Do you have a favorite board game? Risk. Really? Of course it's Risk. Of course, I feel like at this point I could have said, of course, his favorite board game is Risk. That feels mm-hmm. right on point to me. Mm-hmm. Have you ever read a book twice? No. Ever? No. Really? Archie Com- does Archie Comics? Absolutely, that counts. I've read thousands of them. Do you have a favorite? I liked Richie Rich as a kid. He was like somebody I related to, sadly. Oh, really? I don't know much yeah. about that story or those characters. He was just a poor little rich kid. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh i love it do you have a pump up song a pump up song yeah like a song you play yeah, before you have I, to do like something I, said, I like the super tramp album school yep. like i go to old you know old faithfuls that are three four minute long i don't need okay. a 10 minute anthem no i mean 10 minutes is too long i for love telegraph road from dire straits but that's like 12 minutes that's very long uh-huh a great okay. great fucking song howard this is my final question for you what would you title your memoir? Yeah, Investing for Profit and Joy is the name of my blog. And I think mm. I think we're all going to be investors in this next generation. So yes. doing it for doing it in a way that's kind of profitable and, and joyful is possible. Mm. So that would be the memoir. What would you call it? Howie Town. <laughs> <laughs> blockchain Lindsay. A blockchain Lindsay production. Oh my God, Howie Town is so good. (laughs) Howard, it has been such a treat having you on the show today. I'm so grateful that we got to chat. Thank you so much. Thanks, Alexis. Where can people find more about you online? HowardLinson.com. I have a free daily blog about markets and my prostate. Wow, that's all I could possibly want to read about. That is. (laughs) And you can find me at YayAlexisGay on Twitter and Instagram or at NonTechnicalPod on Twitter. Howard... One more time. Thank you again. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. <laughs>